0: It's really interesting, you know, synchronicity, I just wrote something on Facebook the other day, synchronicity is the unseen hand of God moving on the chessboard of our lives. You know, I was just typing and it just came out and there it was and I thought, wow, that's that's right. Because I love synchronicity because I see it as the unseen hand of the absolute manifesting in my life and manifesting in the world and so when i see that it inspires in me it it lifts me up in a way and causes me to live in higher states of consciousness better states of consciousness like gratitude i become grateful and as i've told you if you ever want to better your state of consciousness no matter where you are if you can generate gratitude about something you will automatically rise internally In consciousness, you will automatically rise up in yourself to a better state. So I say that often because it's important that people know that and practice that. You must practice it. You can't just say, oh, yeah, if I could only be grateful. Oh, he says or or, or you go around telling other people like we had a guy who used to come here. And he decided that he wanted to do what I'm doing. So he started copying the podcast and then he would go and have a group and he would play the podcasts, And then he would, you know, have his people come and he'd play the podcast and then they'd talk about that. Or he would listen to the podcast in advance and they didn't listen to it. And then he would try to do the podcast himself. Well, see, this is what people do because we're parrots and we imitate and we don't understand that you've got to make the connection in yourself. You've got to do this work. It's not enough that I'm doing this work. That That's not helping you. I mean, it helps you to some point because if you can get inspired to do something, if you can hear the spaced repetition of these words enough, then maybe something in you will respond and you will then be able to start to connect with something in yourself. Make a place in yourself where this work can reside and then protect it and allow it to grow a little bit and then it will start to nourish you as you nourish it. That's how it works. It's a long process, but it can be done and it has to start somewhere. So this morning, what I'd like to talk to you about is witchcraft. And and the, the whole idea of synchronicity was Connie and I were coming over in the car and she was reading something in an Eckhart Tolle book. And she said, well, he says that all emotions are based in ego. And I said, yes, all emotions are based in ego. She said, well, how does that work with the fourth way? How it works with the fourth way is that all of our emotions are negative emotions. We don't have any real emotions. So Eckhart Tolle is talking about the emotions that we have which are not real emotions. Of course, she spoon-feeds me information. She says, he says that grief is a real emotion. I said, yes, and that's what the fourth way says, too. Grief is a real emotion. So there are real emotions. It's just that we usually don't have them. It doesn't mean we're incapable of them. It means that our emotional center is so filthy that it's just infested with negative emotions. I said, well, that's what I'm talking about this morning, so we'll talk about that. Now, I'd like to talk about witchcraft. Witchcraft often refers to the alleged use of supernatural or magical powers to inflict harm or damage upon members of a community or property. This is the definition that I found. Of course, we misunderstand everything at our level, but we don't know that. We think we understand everything. We think it's others who misunderstand everything. We think that it's others who are ignorant, others who are mean, others who are negative, others who are thoughtless. Others who are the problem. We don't know that it's us. We think we understand everything perfectly. The work reality. Now, you remember in the last podcast, we talked about the two different realities. Well, the work reality, that is the esoteric reality, is that our being attracts our life. But we don't really know what that means. If I were to ask you, well, what is your being? You might be able to answer and you might not be able to answer. But whatever your answer was... It would be incomplete. That would be true. And the reason it would be incomplete is because you are not in charge of your being. Because you're still too fragmented and too asleep. There are parts of your being you have no awareness of at all. And if you did, then you would not have the manifestations that you have in your life. You would not say, how did this happen? Why does this always happen to me? You couldn't say that if you were aware of your being. If you were conscious, you would know just exactly why everything happened to you. You would know that there is cause and effect. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You would know that. You would know what the action was. You would see what the reaction was. And there would be no time or space between the two. If there were time and space between the two, your consciousness would bridge that gap of time and space because light is everywhere equally present. It's just that we are not aware of it. So you would bridge that gap of time and space because in reality there is no time and space in work reality. In our reality, that's all there is in our unconscious state. You would know that you caused whatever it was that happened in your life, whatever it was that you caused that. We don't know that. And so we have to find a cause and we always find the cause outside of ourselves, which means we don't see our being and we don't see that our being attracts our life. So in reality, we are meaning malnourished. There are some people who are malnourished from not eating certain foods or not having certain foods or vegetables or vitamins. So they're malnourished because of that. But we are meaning malnourished. Our meaning is the same over and over and over again. Our diet of meaning is so narrow, it's so tiny compared to the meaning that we could have, compared to what is out there to eat. We just nibble from one little bush. We just eat the leaves off one little bush. We don't ever get to the fruit of that tree over there. We don't ever pull up this root out of the ground and see that we can wash it and eat it. We don't ever see that. We don't see that we could milk this cow. We don't see this. We don't see that. All we have is this tiny little meaning that we get. All of our meaning comes from just this one place, and it's our acquired self that brings us the meaning, and it filters out everything else. So we're meaning malnourished because our machine is sick. It won't digest properly the impressions that are coming into us in life all the time. We are constantly being bombarded by billions of impressions every nanosecond. But we don't know that because we're asleep. Because our machine is all miswired and dirty and crusty and it can hardly move. And when it does move, it only moves in the same patterns that it's always moved in. Very limited patterns. So the real power of this work is its ability to awaken the emotional center. This is not a new idea to you because I've told you this a number of times and I'll continue to tell you this for as many years as I have breath in my lungs and I can speak. This work is about awakening the emotional center. That has to happen if we wish to develop. If we don't wish to develop, this doesn't have to happen. We can leave our emotional center just the way it is. We can be like everyone else in the world. We can go out there and crack skulls and kill and yell and scream and steal and do all the things that people do because they have to do them because their emotional center is full of negativity and it makes them do that. The emotional center is in a very bad state of infestation. In other words, it's bewitched. That's what it is. It's bewitched. Well, what has bewitched it? All its force is being sucked by the witchcraft of parasitic negative emotions. See, remember, witchcraft refers to the alleged use of supernatural or magical powers to inflict harm or damage upon members of a community or property. Your emotional center is your property. And witchcraft, this magical or alleged supernatural power, is harming and damaging your property, your emotional center. It is infested with parasitic negative emotions. They are constantly taking force away from your emotional center, which means they're stealing force from you. You are leaking force and in essence the force that could go for your development for your nourishment so that your essence or your, your essential self could actually be developed and nourished and you could grow into what you were meant to be that force is being siphoned off through this witchcraft in the emotional center these parasitic negative emotions these little witches also warp it and distort it so that its ability to function properly is severely hampered in fact it's stopped almost altogether This work is to begin to cleanse that a little bit, to first start to get the barnacle scraper off and to scrape the outside and start with that and then move deeper and deeper and deeper. But most people are not ready for that. Most people are not willing to do that. Most people don't want to be scraped and they certainly don't want to be probed and dug and manipulated by something when they think they're in control. If someone thinks they're in control of their life, as we all do, we are not open and receptive to having something else be in control of our lives. If we think that everything's fine we think that we're awake we're not going to listen to something that tells us we're asleep (laughs) we're just not going to listen to it we know better that's absurd that's why so many people can't do this work but having the force taken is only part of it the distortion and the warping that go into this hinders the ability of the the proper functioning of the emotional center, and this is part of its weakness and sickness as well. It's not just the filth of negative emotions. It's not just the violence that consumes us and that boils us. It's more than that. It's that now we can no longer see things as they are. It has totally, completely warped our vision. And what does that mean, our vision? Well, we're talking about the emotional center. So it's as if our emotional center is living on junk food, developed to fatten us up for the slaughter. Now, of course, the work says this, but not that way. The work says that you are being harvested as food for something else because you are not using your force to develop as you should develop so that you fall right down in with the grass of the field, the cows, the sheep, the other things in life. And so life harvests you, harvests humanity, sleeping humanity, the same way that you harvest grass, hay, wheat, grains, corn, or cows, sheep, chickens, turkeys, whatever it is you harvest, that's what's happening to you. Now, you can extrapolate on the cause and effect and the karmic wheel that you're spinning on that one. As you harvest, you are also being harvested. Oh, okay. Well, then, let's talk about something else because we don't like that subject. So how does this happen? From whence comes this junk food? Well, let's just look at just a simple thing. The films we watch, the TV shows that we watch, the novels that we read, money and everything that connects to it. Money, power, prestige, sex, all those things all connect up together. In other words, all that. In short, the world of the five senses that is ruling over us. So we left five doors open, and the world is rushing in through those five doors and stealing energy, siphoning off our force that we could use for self-remembering and self-observation. It's stealing it and just draining it off so that we end up being bled, basically. It's like a spider that wraps up its victim in a cocoon and then just goes and sticks this little thing in there and... ...and then draws off its life fluid. And it doesn't kill it all at once, it lets it stay there for a while. So it's like a snack bar. So your life's snack bar, and there's five entrances to life's snack bar... ...and it uses those five entrances to come and snack off of your force... ...and you don't have any force to wake up and develop... ...so you can't break free of the spider web and get out. And this work comes to set you free. Esoteric Christianity came to set you free. Esoteric Judaism came to set you free. Esoteric everything came to set you free. And it will come to set you free in every age... Forever, because as long as man sleeps, there will be someone who is awake who will try and awaken the sleeping man, because that's the way it works. And I don't know about you, but I am, like, filled with gratitude about that, because that's our hope, really. The emotional center is capable of things we can't even grasp or imagine without false personality thrashing us with it and beating our essence back down. So P.D. Ospensky writes a book and he calls it Fragments of an Unknown Teaching or something like that. And they call it In Search of the Miraculous. Well, what does that mean, In Search of the Miraculous? What it means is the emotional center is capable of things we can't yet grasp or imagine that we would call miraculous. And Ospensky was In Search of the Miraculous. And he feels like he found it, or he felt like he found it, obviously. I feel like I found it. I feel like I have found the realm of the miraculous. And I feel like I can help other people find it by directing them and by sharing how I found it, how I stumbled upon it. Stumbled upon it or was led into it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, we don't know anything about that yet. We can't know everything right now because of our limited understanding. Because of our limited consciousness. It's no secret that mankind lives in a shadow existence so bereft of meaning that we're collapsing in on ourselves under the weight of what our internal hollowness has manifested in the world. What does that mean? It means you look at all these wars and the famine and and the insanity in the world. What does that come from? Does that come from our wealth of love and compassion? our wealth of mercy and generosity? No, it comes from our own internal hollowness based on self-love, self-adoration, self-emotions, vanity, pride, greed, and all of that stuff. So that's what it comes from, that has eaten the center out of us. And so essence has a very small place to live in us. And it's because this acquired self has just turned into this huge monster that is just gobbling everything up. And life is using that and just draining off that force that it gobbles up and we are being consumed by life. What this work is for is to turn the tables on that, to shut the doors so that life cannot come in through the five senses and attack us, so that we know how to guard those doors by making a space between those doors and ourselves, so that those impressions that come in can then, through the work, be transformed into food so that we can nourish our true essential self. Nod your heads if you're with me. Thank you. I like that. I like to know you're with me, because that way I can move on to the next point. So, why hollow? Well, we've been hollowed out by the witchcraft of negative emotions. See, this is where it starts. We don't know that we are bewitched. You don't know that your negative emotions have influenced you to the degree that you have. You don't know that your your own negative emotions are making an idiot out of you. Your own negative emotions are humiliating you. Your own negative emotions are making you behave like a moron in life. Your own negative emotions are what makes you react in ways that you later go, oh, why couldn't I keep my mouth shut? It's Not life. It's not the people in life. It's you. It's in you. This is why people turn me off, because this is what I say. It's in you. You are the problem. And people don't like that. They don't want to hear that. Well, then they need to go back out there and get hollowed out some more. And maybe there'll be a space in them when they get hollowed out enough where these words can be held, where these ideas can fall and rest. And then maybe in their desperation... Maybe in their misery, they will find that these words, if applied to those spots, are like a healing balm, like a salve, that it will soothe things. And calm things down. And it will be for salve for their eyes so they'll be able to see then. It will be like salve for their hearts so they'll be able to actually feel something besides all of this anxiety and hatred and violence of negative emotions. That's the purpose of this. And that's why I say these words that I speak to you are spirit in her life. And they will go and do what they're supposed to do. But you have to let them. And if you can't receive them, if your cup is full, then they're just going to flow, go right over your cup. They're not going to get in there. So they have to get in there first. So, here we are. Purification of the emotional center has to do with these negative emotions that we're talking about. The ones that are hollowing us out. The ones that are destroying us and gobbling up our force and keeping us from remembering ourselves, observing ourselves, and developing ourselves. What selves? The selves that we don't know yet are essential, real, true nature. We misunderstand, and here's where it starts, we misunderstand purity because we confuse it with morality. Now, I want you to pay strict attention to this because this is very important. This is crucial. This is a huge problem for us. The mixing of the idea of emotional purity with the idea of moral purity is what ancient esoteric literature has termed adultery. We think adultery is a man being with a woman that's not his wife or a woman being with a man that's not her husband. This is not what esoteric teachings are about. This is what exoteric teachings are about. That's called morality. Esoteric teachings are not interested with morality. Esoteric teachings are interested in esoteric things, the internal side of you, not the external side of you. Esoteric teachings say that if you will make right your internal side, your external side will automatically flow in the right direction. That's how it's supposed to work, from the inside out. Exoteric teachings say no. You must have laws and rules and moral guidelines, and you must force people to do things no matter what is happening with them inside. Now, does, is that a bad thing? No, that's just what the way that is. Our approach is esoteric, internal, not exoteric, external. Does that mean that if you start to hit her with a baseball bat, that I won't stand up, come over there, and take that bat away from you? Well, you better know it doesn't mean that. Over here, I will get in the very best frame of mind that I can muster. I will get in the best space that I can muster. And then my body will get up and walk over there and take that bat away from you. That's how that'll work. So is it all esoteric? Well, you decide for yourself. I really don't care. What I know is that that's got to stop. That's not going to happen here in my presence if there's anything I can do about it. And there is something I can do about it. So that's how I deal with that. The mixing of the idea, as I said, of emotional purity with moral purity is a big mistake. Mostly people think impure emotions are sexual, sexual thoughts, and that pure emotions means the absence or the repression of such thoughts. Moralists don't care whether you have such thoughts or not. What they care is that you don't act them out and that you repress them. Whatever happens to you, if you turn into some kind of a freak pervert and you blow up and you rape guinea pigs or whatever, then they don't really care about that as long as you fulfill their moral requirements of you. As you can see, that can be a huge problem. There was a South Park episode about when the kids, all these kids, they went to the fair and they found ninja weapons. And they lied and said their parents were dead and cried and and the guy sold them the weapons, even though he wasn't supposed to. So they were all pretending to be ninja warriors. And what happened was somebody threw a ninja weapon and it hit Butters in the eye and knocked his eye out. And Butters is stuck with it. So they're trying to figure out, well, how to hide this because they're going to get in trouble for playing with weapons and violence and knocking somebody's eye out. So they're terrified that their parents are going to find out. So they they go find a cat and they shave the cat and glue the fur of the cat onto Butters and they put ears on him and tell him to bark like a dog because they're going to take him to a vet. And the vet's going to pull the thing out and heal them because they don't want to go to the hospital because then they'll be reported. So this is their idea. Well, that doesn't work and they lose Butters he wanders off while they're ninja fighting in their imaginations with some other kids. So Butters wanders off, and they finally find him at the fair, and he's up there wandering around like this little dog with his fur glued all over him and these ears, and he's just having a horrible time with this thing in his head. And so... Cartman, he decides, Eric Cartman, he decides he's going to go and get something, you know. So he takes all of his clothes off because he's got this ninja power of invisibility. And so he's walking up there on the stage, right up on the stage, facing the audience. But he thinks he's invisible until someone says something. And then it's like, oh, my God. Well, this whole thing, then, there's a big town meeting. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And the kids are sitting there just dying because they think they put Butter's eye out. There's all this violence. They've been playing with weapons. Somebody's been hurt. But no. The whole town is up in arms because they saw Cartman's little weenie. So everybody's all upset about that. The morality issue. The morality issue was all about sex. It had nothing to do with violence. Go ahead and kill as many people as you want. You want to put eyes out? You want to chop arms and legs off? Go ahead. Just stay clothed while you do it. Just meet our purity requirements, our moral purity requirements. You smile, but you're afraid to laugh because you live in a society that is completely bound up by that. You live in a society where we drop fire out of airplanes on women and children and burn them alive. And like Colonel Kurtz said in you know, Apocalypse Now, and we are not, and then we're in trouble for writing a bad word on our airplane. That sickness is what made him insane that our sickness is what made a man who woke up insane that's where we live so of course you're not laughing because you don't see the humor in it where is the humor in that and there is no humor in it really it's like oh my god this is really how it is now i know that it sounds like i'm preaching but i'm really not (laughs) so that was the south part episode violence is fine impure thoughts or impure manifestations are not There is a kind of mass insanity around this that acts as a racial vortex. So our whole species gets sucked down into this vortex. And it's a drain that sucks the force from millions of people every day. So there's something really big eating us, something with a big appetite. We have this unconscious division of emotion into pure and impure. You don't think you have this division of emotion between pure and impure. But if you think about it a little bit, if you become conscious of it, you will see that you do. From a work perspective, what does pure and impure mean regarding feelings? Well, I'll tell you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to move away from sex and think of glass. Why? Because you can't think of sex. You are too bound up. You are so confused. You are so, you are so in the dark about your sexual center. You don't know where it is, what it is, or what it's doing. All you do is just try to keep it under control. That's where a lot of force goes with us, trying to keep the sex center under control because we don't understand it, because we don't have a clue what's going on. And there's a tremendous amount of force there. Tremendous amount of force that can be used to develop. But we don't know that. Because we're screwing the lid down on it. (laughs) We're nailing it down. We're trying to do it. We're putting things on top of it, trying to get it under control because we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to manage it because it's out of our control. We don't know where the on-off switch is. We don't know where the steering wheel is. We don't know where the brake pedal is. We don't know where anything is. It's like a runaway car for us. And sometimes we enjoy the ride. And then other times when we crash, we go, oh, well, that wasn't much fun. (laughs) <laughs> what well, was fun, but the crash really was terrible. So it's like that. And so, so people say, well, you're going to crash. So don't do that. Don't you know, don't get a BB gun. You're going to put somebody's eye out. You know, that whole thing It's all fear driven. So we've got this thing going on. Let's move away from the sex and the sex center and emotional and moral purity. And let's move to something we can just talk about like real human beings. Let's think of a glass. We may say impure emotions have a tendency to warp that glass. Have you ever seen old window panes in old houses where they didn't really have the technology that we have today to make, you know, so you look through a glass now. You, you, they have glass you can look through. You don't even know it's there. Well, back in the old days, it wasn't like that. There were ripples in it and waves and little imperfections and things. You remember that? You look at that. Now, let's say we're looking through a glass. So let's say that our emotional center is like a glass. It's this little glass house. And when we have negative emotions in there, they are impure. They adulterate. And so they warp the glass. But more than that, they also splatter mud and dirt and grease and things on the glass. So the glass is warped. And at the same time, it's also coated with this filter of dirt or smudges, or whatever else. So it becomes increasingly difficult to see through the emotional center, as we should, in order to see what's really happening in life and in ourselves. Because the glass is warped and it's filthy. This is what I'm talking about. So this filter obscures the glass. We can't behold pure knowledge when we look through it. So what knowledge do we have? Well, we have impure knowledge then. We have mixed knowledge. We have knowledge that has been adulterated by this admixture of other things, of negative emotions, of fear of anxiety, of hatred, of all of these things. Pure emotions give us clear sight. In other words, it's a a perfect pane of glass. There's nothing on it. Pure images of knowledge, without judgment, without condemnation, without all of the accompanying distortions of the glass, we have a clear view, clarity. So this is what the work is about, purifying, clarifying the emotional center so that when we look through it, so that we have emotions, they can be real emotions, pure emotions, not mixed with a lot of other things religion has degraded into morality religion used to be esoteric and what happened was as it got further and further away from its source it became more and more exoteric and as it became more and more exoteric it became more and more stiff jesus didn't have a church buddha didn't have a church muhammad didn't have a church but when they were gone all those edifices and things started to spring up all those buildings started to be built Why? Well, because the source was gone. Because people failed to find the source within themselves, tap it there, and let it continue to flow. So that's what happens. That's called exotericism. And what happens is that the religion, the esoteric religion, whatever it is, whatever the movement was that started, degrades into morality, losing its real power and dividing the world and everything in it into two camps, moral and immoral. If you're in our camp, you're moral. If you're in their camp, you're immoral. If you do what we say, you're moral. If you do anything else, you're immoral. We must try to separate emotions from the arbitrary moral immoral division so that we can simplify. What simplify means is we purify the glass, we wash it clean, we make it rippleless, we make it so that it is invisible, so that we can see the nature of an emotion. Emotions are not pure or impure in their nature. These are things that we put on them. Real emotions just are. They have no opposite. That's what the work says. A real emotion has no opposite. It can't have an opposite because it is pure and whole in and of itself. This is what we cannot understand because our emotional center is so sick, so filthy, so infested, so weak, so bled, that it does not have the strength to do anything it has no resistance against negative emotions, no resistance to the world. There's nothing in us that can resist the world. Somebody says something to us, we immediately turn negative. It just spews out of us without anything on our part able to stop it. For example, I'm going to use as an example, this is esoteric literature, but you won't hear a lot about this. And the reason you won't hear a lot about this is because it's an example of pure sensuality. There is sensuality, but What we know of sensuality is so twisted with morality, so degraded into right and wrong, good and bad, pure and impure, that we can't see that there is such a thing as pure sensuality. I'm going to read to you from esoteric literature. You may have heard of it as the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. You won't hear this in churches. It's in the Bible, but people don't read from it because it turns them on sexually and they get all weird and they start to lose control so it's in the bible but we don't know what it means so i'm just going to read just a little bit from the first thing the young shulamite bride and jerusalem's daughters the song of songs which is solomon's may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine your oils have a pleasing fragrance your name is like purified oil therefore the maidens love you Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. Okay, so right now, already, wait a second. We're holy. We're pure. These are impure. We, uh, you, uh, you just can't happen. The maidens are all in love with him. Now he's kissing me with his mouth. And you go further and it gets really crazy in here. He starts to talk about breasts and nose and, and necks. And, you know, it's like, Wah! and fingers dripping with myrrh and unlocking the lock and entering the garden and on and on. And people start to go crazy. No. What are they going crazy with? Usually impure sensuality. But this is pure sensuality. But because our emotional center is so so impure we cannot see it we cannot let it feed us we cannot see that there is a pure unsullied unadulterated love that comes from the absolute it is absolute love and it has a pure, unsullied, absolute manifestation, even all the way down here. But we don't know anything about that because we've been playing in the mud. We're just covered with all this stuff. And so we can't see any of it. That's just an example. I'd love to read more to you about it. But I got to watch you guys because who knows what you'll be doing. Yeah. just like, jeez. <laughs> so we've got all this impure sensuality mixed with other emotions. And so we can't see it. So emotions are good and bad from a moral perspective. That's a good emotion, that's a bad emotion. That person has a crush on you. You're letting that person have a crush on you. No, I really can't help it. Yes, you could stop being so wonderful. You should kick them in the face a few times so that they don't have a crush on you anymore. No, you're the one with the problem. I shouldn't do that. You're the one with the problem. You should handle your own problem and stop trying to get me to handle your problem for you. Well, that person has a problem too. Well, that's that person's problem. Once you handle your own problem and stop trying to handle everybody else's problem? Well, no, because I don't have a problem. My problem is only based on what you people... People are doing. See, all of that is insanity. That's what it is. It's insanity. And when we are in the grip of negative emotions, we are being influenced by their witchcraft, and we are made wonky. We go insane, and we can't see things clearly, and we can't understand things properly. And then we start doing stupid, crazy, violent things. Because we have been conquered, we have been bewitched, as it were. Now, whether an emotion is good or bad from a moral perspective, let me tell you this, from a work perspective, they equally sully the fundamental feeling of the emotion. What we're looking for is purification, not right classification. We're not looking for right classification. We're looking for purification. How can we discern... Well, let's shift away from sex again and, and, and a strong moral prejudice to something we can talk about without going crazy. We could talk about sympathy. Sympathy is something we can talk about. Impure sympathy is pure sympathy that has been mixed with the calculation to receive something for one's sympathy. So there is such a thing as pure sympathy. But as soon as you start to get yourself involved with it, I should get something for this. I'm a better person for this. My ego is now involved. My false personality is now involved. Now it's impure. It's been adulterated. There's this admixture of self in it. And the pure sympathy is now spoiled. So you see, that we can talk about. The admixture of self-interest adulterates the pure emotion of sympathy. All negative emotions are impure esoterically because they distort. What do they distort? Everything. There is nothing that they don't twist and distort. So if you're in a negative state, not one thing that you see, that you think, that you feel, that you experience can be trusted. What you have to do is first get out of that negative state. If you don't do that, you will be sucked down lower and lower and lower until you end up in prison for some violent crime. You either get out of it or it will overcome you. The witchcraft of that initial negative emotion, that little spell, just that little spell of allowing your self-interest into an emotion, that little tiny drop, just a drop of it, starts to grow and expand, and it starts to consume anything good. And so the only thing that's left is more of that. And then it starts like a wildfire, and it will rage through you until it burns up everything. You must stop it. If you observe yourself properly, you know the taste of negative emotions and the states to which they lead as they pull you down. You can taste the difference. It can happen instantaneously. Everything's fine. And then somebody says something, and all of a sudden, it triggers something in your mind, and you are absolutely bewitched. You are under this control, this witchcraft of the negative emotion, and things are coming out of your mouth, and you're doing things, and you're thinking things that just a moment ago you would never have even considered. But now suddenly you're completely consumed by them. You know that taste? That's what you have to know. You have to know that taste. You have to know the taste of negative emotions. You have to know that it may taste good right now, but it's going to lead you to a very bad state. Suddenly you feel different. Some feel empowered by their negative emotions. Some people feel clear, like they know things that other people do not know. They see things that other people do not see. They know other people's thoughts. They have a clarity about what another person is thinking, what they're feeling, what their intention is, what their plan is. They see it all as clearly as if they were God, because that's the power that witchcraft gives you. It gives you the power to believe that you're God when you're just a bozo on a bus with no driver singing songs row 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 your boat you know or whatever you're singing There's no self-doubt involved, and only doubting others. There's no self-doubt. You know that what you see and what you feel and what you think is the truth. You know because you are empowered by this negative emotion. You have the clarity of this negative emotion. Everyone else is a liar. Anyone else that doesn't agree with you just doesn't see. And it's either because they're blind or because they don't want to see or because it's their ego, whatever. You you can have a million different lies to support your self-justification for your negativity. If you really observe yourself... None of this makes any sense. If you really observe yourself, you hear that thought come up and those things come up and you go, yeah, right, get out of here. You just stop. You just put the brakes on. you come to a screeching emergency stop. You refuse to move forward. I will not go with that little eye. I will not go with that state. I know that taste. There's nothing down that road for me. No. And you will stop. You will make a complete inner stop if you have observed yourself because you know not to go there. If you haven't, well, you need to start observing yourself so that you can start to get some control. One unpleasant thought left unchecked has the power over you and its witchcraft begins to inflict damage on you, harm to others around you if you identify with it. If you identify with just one slight negative emotion, it will consume you. Everything in you begins to drop if you're so unguarded within by esoteric ideas. See, you need to be guarded by these esoteric ideas. They can be a wall around you. They can be a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that the sun doesn't beat on you during the day and so that the cold doesn't and the cold and the darkness don't hinder you at night, which, of course, is what that means. But if you're not guarded by that, then everything inside of you begins to drop. If your inner life depends on outer events, you don't have anything in you that can resist life. You need something in you that can resist life. That's what we're doing here, to try and get a space, to develop a space inside of us where we can have these ideas and they can exist and not be torn to shreds by the little eyes. If you can become more conscious, if real I in you is allowed to become master, your center of gravity shifts from outer to inner, and the witchcraft of life no longer has any power over you. Maurice Nicole said, while negative, we see everything in a certain way, from a certain angle, say suspicion. Look how spellbinding it is. How we can't believe what we vaguely remember we believed just a little while ago. How everything has been turned suddenly the other way around. Mr. Cole really did say that. I'm not making that up. He really did say that. Actually, he wrote that. This witchcraft that binds us with the spell that negative emotions cast over us is not easily escaped. Begin with the slight negative emotions and start to separate from them. Don't go with them. Look, if you're in the grip of something really huge, just try and shut up and get away, where you can try and just let it burn out, try and get a grip. But the slight negative emotions, that's where you need to start. Don't go with them. Realize how awake you must be to catch these little witches before they catch you. Resist the pleasure of being negative of feeling right, of feeling vindicated, of feeling justified. Resist the power that you feel comes with that, the power to be in control and not to be fearful. Because that's one of the things that negative emotions give us. It gives us this anger and this sense of clarity, and this sense of self-righteousness, which lifts us up over other people. And we feel like we have some control. We don't have any. We are in the grip of the witchcraft, but we feel like we have control. We must work on the emotional center to rid it of negative emotions with their spellbinding power to destroy our happiness, because that's what they do. Some people would have no source of happiness at all without negative emotions. Think about it. Think of your past life, this life, when you had no happiness outside of negative emotions. Don't be one of those people. That's my recommendation to you. Make a list of your habitual negative emotions. I've told you before. I'm going to tell you again. I want every one of you to keep a journal, a daily journal. I do, and I have since 1971. I've asked you to do this over the years, and you have, and then you haven't. I even gave you journals as Christmas presents and birthday presents, and you still don't do it. I gave you pens and journals. I have begged you to do it, and you still don't do it. And that's okay. I'm not going to give up. It's only been 20 years. I still have some steam left. I'm not going to give up. Someday you're going to do it, and someday you're going to see the benefit of it, and then you're going to make more progress than you made before that day, and it'll be consistent progress. So... Make a list of your habitual negative emotions. I don't know what they are. Greed, envy, jealousy, suspicion, self-adoration, vindication, and all the other poisons that we imbibe in when we get into a negative state. Bring all of that into the light of consciousness. You don't have to do anything about it. Just bring it into the light of consciousness. This is all I'm asking you to do. Write it down in the light of day and look at it. And say, yes, this is a habitual thing with me. I can be counted on to go there. Just see it. The light will heal you. The light will cure it. The light will take care of it. You just keep bringing it to the light. That's what I have to say about that. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.